Okay, so this is a little bit of transition Sunday here for middle schoolers. If you are going into ninth grade, you need to stay in here. If you're going into sixth, seventh, or eighth grade, you need to head downstairs with Emily and all other elementary folks. You guys can head on upstairs as well right now. So, Well, if you were here this past Sunday, um, or if you weren't, um, I'll catch you up to speed. We talked about um, uh, Psalm 47, and it was a psalm where the writer was extremely persistent in communicating to us that, um, that we needed to sing praises to God. As a matter of fact, in, over the course of two verses, he said it five times. Uh, so we talked about just why he was so persistent in that. And um, as we examine that psalm, I mentioned what seemed to be the writer's focus on engaging our whole bodies uh, in worship, heart, soul, and mind kind of all unified in uh, praising God for his goodness towards us. And we talked about how vastly different that our personalities can be and how that can kind of affect uh, how we worship. We talked about how um, our flaws that we all have can hamper our ability to praise God. Those of us that maybe tend to be a little bit more um, emotional and we can kind of whip up passion pretty quickly in us, um, that sometimes that passion and that emotion is, is separated a little bit from um, actual knowledge about what it is that we're praising God for. We don't spend a whole lot of time maybe pondering the whys behind that enthusiasm or that passion. Others of us that may be more analytical, maybe we can come up with a whole list of reasons why God should be praised. But if we were honest, our expression of that is kind of a little lifeless and, and dead. As if, you know, somehow that truth that we know in our heads is somehow not able to translate down into our hearts in the way that we express that to God. Well, last Sunday afternoon, after I'd finished up here, I came back, I had some, some homework to finish, some reading to finish for this class that some of us are taking here. Um, it's, a, it's a counseling class called Soul Care. And we're reading through a book by a guy named Larry Crabb called Soul Talk, um, which really talks about getting to a place where we're speaking at the soul level with people. Um, and I, we came across uh, something that really just grabbed a hold of my attention and really um, got me to thinking throughout the week, which kind of led to what we're going to be talking about today. And it really all began with a verse that he mentioned in the book. It's from Isaiah thirty fifteen. It says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. And repentance and rest is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. And I thought about that a little bit in terms of, of praise and how we praise God and the role that all of those things take in that process, repentance and rest, quietness and trust. And I want to share a little bit from his book. So in this book, he's trying to examine how we relate to others and at what level we really engage with people. And he says this, as I write, I pray for a revolution in relationships I long to see what is most alive in Jesus' followers pour out of their souls into the people we love. It's happening here and there, but it needs to spread. It needs to happen all over the world. What's getting in the way? What would it take to bring in a real revolution? 
The answer, I believe, is personal revival. Not more weeks of special meetings with dynamic speakers. Not seasons of cathartic confessions where emotions run high and repentance runs low. Not disciplined efforts to practice holy habits that we try for a while to see if they work. But real, deep, personal revival. Times of refreshing that come from the Lord after dark nights of brokenness and deep repentance. And then he goes on a little bit later and says that through that deep repentance and in a place of brokenness comes revival. Personal revival, relational revival, as we're able to more fully engage with others from a place of of personal just wholeness, healing, fullness on our end. And I've got to be honest with you, um, the, the phrase in there that really kind of disturbed me were those two words, deep repentance. Because I don't know about you, but um, I, I wouldn't define my life as one characterized by a lot of deep repentance. And it's not even really uh, an idea or a concept that I've really heard in church much of my adult life either. So since I was disturbed, I thought I'd invite you into my misery this morning. Lucky you. Well, as I continued reading, a thought that I couldn't escape was that kind of an additional barrier to praising God. We talked about some of those last week, some of our barriers to to really engaging uh, with God, I think is the presence of unconfessed sin in our life. When we ignore or gloss over our sinful habits or tendencies, when it's been a while, since we've really examined our motives, our thoughts, our habits, and humbly repented of our willful disobedience towards God, a barrier starts to form between our heart and his that in a lot of cases severely dampens and in the worst cases it just really entirely destroys our ability to praise God. Now, before we get too far into our journey this morning, I want to acknowledge the fact that I really think that a lot of us here this morning um, have really good intentions. I think most of us that are here today, we really want to praise God with our whole hearts. We really want to be fully devoted followers of Christ. But I also believe that while our intentions may be noble, the reality is, is that we live in a culture in, in America, we also live in a church culture here that, that doesn't put a huge emphasis on personal reflection. And even those of us who might consider ourselves more self-aware, people who take the time on occasion to really take a hard look at their lives and examine some things and, and uh, you know, kind of notice some things in their lives that might need to change, some unhealthy patterns... I think even those people rarely take it to the next level. We're we're aware of how broken we are. But I think that there's another level which involves deep repentance and ultimately change that few of us really get to on a very consistent basis. So I came across an interesting case study this week in the book of Revelation uh, that I want to share with you and explore a little bit more today. So I need you to turn your Bibles to Revelation 2. Revelation chapter 2, it's page 849, way at the back. Just to give you a little bit of background information on the book of Revelation, 
Um, it was written by the Apostle John towards the end of the first century um, AD. And in it, God had given John kind of a vision for what the end times would look like. And so some of it is him re- kind of recording how it's all going to go down one day when the second coming of Christ happens. Another big part of this book is basically just Jesus just speaking to John and John just recording the words of Christ. And that's what we find in chapter 2. I know you're, the Pew Bibles don't have the letters in red, but these are Jesus' words. And Jesus, starting in chapter 2, he speaks to seven different congregations that were present in the time of John at the end of that first century A.D., and one of the first cities he mentions here is the city of Ephesus. And um, just to give you a little background on, on Ephesus, Ephesus was, was kind of one of the major centers of early Christianity. It was kind of a hub for evangelism being spread out from there to the rest of kind of the Asian province. It was a place where Paul spent three years of his life living there. It was also kind of traditionally known as the home of, of John and, and kind of the base for his ministry as well. So it was kind of like the shining star of early Christianity in terms of, of influence. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 in chapter 2. This is Jesus speaking. He says to the church in Ephesus, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Well, that sounds like a pretty glowing review, doesn't it? I mean, all of those things listed, those values listed in those, first, those, those two verses that we looked at are all things that our American culture would say, man, those are great. And every one of us in here would love to be told by God man, I see your hard work. I see your perseverance. I see your endurance. Apparently, these guys had even, you know, rooted out some false teachers and, and, uh, and they had endured some hardship without giving up. Pretty inspiring and admirable, admirable things in a lot of ways. But, you know, one of the things that really caught my attention in that, that first, uh, first few words that Jesus spoke in uh, verse 2, I know your deeds. Now, Jesus makes it very aware to the people in Ephesus that, hey, nothing, nothing goes beyond my vision here. I know exactly what's going on in your all's hearts. The writer of Hebrew said it like this. The book of Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I want to ask you guys a question this morning. Just kind of leave that up there for a minute, Kyle, if you could. When you read that verse, what is your visceral or kind of gut reaction to that? A comment like that. And what, what, what do those words do in you when, you when you read them? And then maybe a second step is where, where do those emotions come from? find out how self-aware you are this morning. Anybody have on thoughts? Like when we first read that this morning, what, what went through your mind? Will? Terrifying? Relief. Okay, explain that. 
Okay? Yeah. So it's kind of freaky to have yourself exposed, but there's some, some goodness that comes out of kind of having your junk out on the table and not having to hide anymore. So, yeah. Other, other gut reactions to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, God sees everything. We don't need to exp- spend time trying to explain anything to him. We can just jump right into to relationship with him because he sees and knows everything. Yeah, yes. Sometimes in the midst of whatever we're doing, we can maybe kind of somehow feel like maybe, maybe we're getting away with it. Maybe God's not paying attention. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the reality is, is that we might be able to fool some people. We might even be able to fool our fellow church members sometimes. Um, but we aren't going to fool God. And I think it's really critical for us to understand the truth that while God is full of grace he is also full of truth and while he yes is definitely merciful he is also holy and righteous Jesus' death for us on the cross was costly forgiveness to us is offered freely but it wasn't cheap and God takes our sinful disobedience seriously I want you to remember the message of John the Baptist the guy that came before Jesus to kind of prepare the way for his ministry. And what was it that he said to people when he went around the countryside and, and, uh, and proclaimed this message? His message again and again was this, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. You know, he didn't go and tell people, hey, this Jesus guy, this Messiah that you've been waiting for all these years, he's coming, and it's going to be so amazing. We're going to have some church camps and we're going to have camel races, and we're going to build some amazing sand castles. And at night, Jesus is going to sit around the campfire, and he's going to tell us about Noah's Ark and, and about Moses parting the Red Sea. That's not what he said. He said, repent. Examine your life. Deal with the junk that you know is separating you from the heart of God and change. Start heading in a new direction. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself of where we're going, so let's get back to the story in Revelation. So Jesus is praising the Ephesians. He's saying, man, you guys have done some great things. And then the story kind of takes an unexpected turn in verse 4. Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That doesn't sound very good, does it? When Jesus says to you, I'm holding something against you. That's not really a place that I want to be in. 
And I'm not really sure where it really went wrong for the Ephesians. The exact nature of their sin is not really revealed here, except to say that in some ways they had kind of gotten things out of order in their life. They'd forgotten and lost sight of whom they were serving. They'd gotten so wrapped up into the good deeds that they were doing for God that the relationship with God was suffering as a result. So in a way that their hands and their head were committed, but their heart was far from him. And one of the signs of the end of times, when Jesus is talking at the end of the book of Matthew, he talks about some of the signs of the ends of the age, and he says this, one of those signs is that the love of most will grow cold. Can you relate to that? I mean, we might be serving in the church, helping out in children's ministry, leading songs up on stage, greeting people at the doors they're coming in. We might be dropping our our check in the offering box. We might even be opening up our Bible and, and praying on a somewhat regular basis in our life. But you know, uh, our love towards God, even in the midst of those things, and our love towards others sometimes has grown cold. And many of us have been there in our walks with God. Some of us might be there right now. And it's obvious when you're there because your worship is passionless. The word of God doesn't really penetrate your hearts. Your relationships become burdensome. People around you, you lose you know, you get, you get impatient, you get frustrated with people quickly. Even in the midst of doing all these things for God. Well, luckily for the Ephesians and for us is that we serve a God who calls us back to himself. Because in verse 5, he says to the Ephesians, guys, if you'll just repent, we can come back from a misguided way of living So what's his prescription? What does he say the remedy is for a cure for a heart that's focused on the wrong things? He says in verse 5, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. What, what, What do you think Jesus is trying to say there? What does he mean when he says, do the things you did at first? What do you think he's getting to? Yeah, Kent. Yeah. 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 Other thoughts on that? Do the things you did at first. I guess... Let's say this, because I think she hit it on the head, is, you know, in, in those first few, especially if you've had just a, a conversion experience that was pretty monumental, what was going on in you in those early days? She talked about just that hunger and that desire to know God more. What else was present in you? Yeah. Yeah, you wanted to spread God's word with everybody you met. You wanted, to, you wanted them to be in on the secret, right? That, that it transformed your life. So you had this, this heart and a passion for other people. What else? Yeah, Stacey. Had an awareness of how short you fell from the glory of God to begin with. I mean, you were aware of that gap, that separation between you and what kingdom living looked like. You had, you 
Yeah. In those early days, that gap between where you know you are and where God is, that, that the Jesus bridge was, was very apparent and aware, and that sometimes over time we can feel like, oh, we've kind of, you know, the gap's been bridged and now we're good and, and uh, we're, we're tight with God, which can be true, but um, doesn't mean we're still not broken and don't need to, to grow as well. So he tells the Ephesians to get back to the things you did at first. Repent. Deep Repentance being greatly troubled and ashamed for our sinful declining or indifference and humbly confessing it in the sight of God. How often does that happen in your life? How long has it been since you really took a, a hard look at your motives, your thoughts, your actions, Inviting God, kind of like that last song we sang said, to shine his light. And, and let me remind you, it's a loving light. To shine it into the dark places of our souls and expose the sin that needs to be brought to our attention. Does that happen weekly? Does that happen monthly, yearly? Hopefully, it happens on a regular basis. But I know for me, there's been seasons of my life where that's not true. And so the question that kind of came to my mind was this. When did we get the idea that it wasn't necessary? That God would just be cool with us kind of showing up fairly regularly to church, throwing in a little cash, maybe serving from time to time and that everything would be good. I'm checking off all the things that, uh, that keep God happy. How often do we pray the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 139, if you can put that up, who says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, maybe you all have this down, and I'm just the one who takes God's goodness for granted. I don't know. But a verse that's been really helpful for me in this whole area of repentance over the course of my journey with God is in 2 Corinthians. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It's page 804. Page 804. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Man, I love those words. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. Worldly sorrow, it says, brings death. Because worldly sorrow... <laughs> is self-centered sorrow over the pain, painful consequences of sin. That's what worldly sorrow is. Man, I'm just sorry I got caught. <laughs> I'm sorry that my life is messed up because some things, you know, got out of whack. Instead of sorrow over the heart that ignited the wickedness to begin with. That's what godly sorrow is. 
So Jesus gives the Ephesians the opportunity for repentance. But then he follows that up by saying this. Hey, if you don't repent, there's going to be consequences for that. In verse 5, he says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What does that mean? Well, if you remember, I talked about the fact that, that Ephesians was kind of this, this hub for early Christianity. It was kind of this beacon of light for a lot of other Christian communities. It was definitely a, a place that, that had favor and prominence in that time. And so Jesus, in effect, is saying to the people in Ephesians, guys, if you don't repent, I am going to take away your influence. So the lesson is clear. When a nation or a church or an individual follower of Christ goes about their business of doing religion but have forsaken their first love for God and for others, when their hearts have turned cold, when their motives have turned inward, there will be consequences. And often one of the consequences of an unrepentant heart is a loss of influence. In your own personal life, people won't come to you for help or to, to share their pain with you as much as they used to. A city won't come to your church and say, man, we, wanna, we want your help in, in bringing life to this town. Other nations in the world will write your nation off as a player in the mission to redeem the world for Christ. Repent. And deep repentance involves thinking beneath the surface. Deep repentance isn't just saying, man, God, I'm sorry that I lied or I gossiped or I lusted or I was consumed with my self-interest. But a deeply repentant person asks the harder questions. They ask the why questions. God, why do I lie to make myself look better than I really am? Why do I lust? Why do I talk about other people behind their back when I know that that's going to bring about disharmony and discord in the kingdom of God? Why am I discontent in my marriage in a way that makes me bitter or envious for what other people have? And maybe here's a question that we don't think about enough. Why am I indifferent to the things that break the heart of God? Why, when I hear about how many orphans there are in this world, how many people are starving, how many people are homeless right here in St. Joe, does that not lead me to action? What is broken that needs to be healed? What are the faulty patterns of thinking in my life that lead me to sin? What misconceptions do I have about God or about the life that he calls me to live that, that end up with me having these barriers between his heart and mine? How do I begin to change? How do I begin to turn away from these broken patterns in my life that pull my heart from God's? That's the harder work of repentance that God is calling us to this morning. Romans 2.4 says this, 
He says, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads me to repentance. Not your guilt or, or the fear of relating with you over these things in my life. But he says, Lord, it's your kindness that draws me in and breaks through our distant and cold hearts. And I don't know about you, but I want to praise God with my whole being. And I want to confront and remove whatever barriers are there between my heart and God's. And I definitely don't want him to remove whatever influence he's given me in people's lives. I want to be used by him to bring him glory. Repent and do the things you did at first. So what does deep repentance look like for you this morning and as we move forward from here? Today as we finish up our service, um, just going to give you some time to just in silence just pray and talk with God about what's on your heart right now as it relates to what we've just talked about. During this last song, we're going to have some people uh, up front willing to pray with you. One of the things that is important for repentance, the Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. That's what it's all about, is coming clean. And I don't know about you, but I think there's something about confessing our sins to other people. I have a lot harder time confessing my sins to my wife than I do to God. Something about looking somebody else in the eye and feeling a little bit laid bare and exposed that makes repentance hit home a little harder. But it also gives that person the opportunity to be the voice of God to us in terms of forgiveness and, and love that he wants to share with us. So there'll be some people up here to pray. I also want to encourage you um, to come forward if you want to and kneel down and just confess things to God. We're going to have an altar call today, and I don't mean altar with an A, I mean altar with an E. We need to change and not just acknowledge the fact that we're messed up, because we all know that, but begin making a choice to head in a different direction. And so we want to give you the opportunity for that as well. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to give you some times of silence, and then just use this time uh, however God leads you to. And I think one of the beautiful things about Jesus is that he does, he gives us that opportunity. Just like he gave those Ephesians, he says, if you repent, man, we can get things back on track. But if you don't, there are consequences for that, you know? We lose influence. I don't think anybody wants that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your reminder today. God, that sometimes you can even see some of the, the good things that we're trying to do. We think our heart's in the right place. We're, we're trying to serve you. But Lord, sometimes along the way, our, our hearts just get a little bit lost. Sometimes it's been a long time since we've really given you the opportunity to kind of shine your light on us. Lord, we can't just go weeks and months and years without really taking a hard look at our lives and allowing you to kind of root out the things that put up walls between your heart and ours. God, the longer we do that, the, the harder our heart gets 
the more destructive we are in the relationships around us, God, we don't want that. God, just hear our prayers during this time, Lord. Do the work you need to do in our hearts this morning.